Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very, very tall leader from the healthcare uh, and pharmaceutical world, Mr. Vikram Paul. Vikram, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ashutosh. Uh, Thank you for having this conversation with me and look forward to an exciting session. Thank you. Uh, Vikram is the head uh, of the global pharmaceutical and health, healthcare development of Renus Logistics. He's a seasoned healthcare focused supply chain executive. He has worked in Southeast Asia, Middle East, Africa, and North Asia, besides India, of course. And he has worked with Bax Global and other multinationals for almost three decades. So, Vikram, today we're going to speak of supply chains. And, uh, you know, supply chains have changed completely in the last 30, 40 years. But as I was looking at your bio and I was thinking of my own career, uh, it used, you know, we used to have a purchase manager who evolved into, has now evolved or morphed into a chief supply chain officer. How has the function evolved over the decades? Thank you. Um, So I I do see that, you know, the entire uh, journey in the last 30 years has bought one even as a professional, and I'll say this just as a prelude to making some comments on the on the responsibilities of the position. But when I first decided to join this industry right out of college in Calcutta from St. Xavier's College, um, my father, uh, you know, called this industry a cargo agency, mm. and I worked with a, a company called Mercury Travels at that time as a, as a young intern. And from there today, we see the very same scope of work, the very same responsibilities that a organization undertakes to have transformed completely into supply chain. Now, from the customer standpoint, you know, we see that there is so much now around demand sensing, demand forecasting, uh, risk assessments, as far as uh, transportation, international transportation is concerned, audits, compliance, that the role itself, uh, you know, as we look at many of our counterparts and peers sitting on the customer side, has really uh, transformed itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of these features and all of these uh, analytics and all of these intelligence is definitely being used, uh, I would say, to a very high degree in pharma and healthcare, obviously, because of the situation we are in, but across many, many industries today. And as a result of that, we are happy to see that, you know, our colleagues and peers on the customer side today are sitting on the, they have a seat on the table. So they're sitting on the board. They are driving some of these decisions, some of the capabilities and evaluations of 3PL companies like ourselves uh, to, to a much higher standard today than where it was, even I would say 10 years ago. For that Correct. Correct. Well said. So, you know, again, the, the, the changes that are taking place in the supply chain, coupled with what's happening because of the pandemic, uh, the whole supply chain business from my conversation with a lot of other supply chain leaders seems to be flipping around on its head. You know, completely new paradigms are getting created. So my question to you is that what has changed that is requiring companies to make such significant changes? 
So it's you know it's it's quite broad. I mean, some of the challenges and changes have have been quite broad. And again, let me give you an example. Uh, I'm sure this time you know a lot of our friends and associates listening to this followed the union budget. Mm-hmm. If I recall, the union budget this time contained I think 36 times the mention of supply chain, which I have never seen before. Probably in 30 years of collective. Um, you know, experience, we've seen probably uh, 30, 30 times mention of supply chain. And this time in a single budget, it was it was there. There's a couple of things to it. I think one is um, the sustainability aspect. So today, if you look at uh, the priorities or the or the uh, or the focus areas of many global companies today, they are on sustainability, uh, net zero carbon, uh, you know, green supply chains, etc., which is a huge transformation in itself that needs to take place with many of the companies already putting some near-term targets in terms of their own sustainability goals. So service providers have to um, similarly, you know, up the ante and up the priority within their own organizations to be able to do this. Unfortunately, at this time, you know, driven also partially by events like the Suez Canal crisis, the port and airport closures, as far as China is concerned, but also recently the Afghanistan in a huge humanitarian crisis and the and the pull of all the resources into that region. uh, Cost is uh, a big issue within the customers supply chains as well. To give you a sense, you know, today air freight uh, out of a big market like India is probably seeing uh, four times what it was pre-pandemic levels. And ocean freight is unfortunately seeing eight to 10 times Mm -hmm. uh, what it was pre-pandemic levels for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, some of it is just with regards to passenger travel and things of that kind, which has been the backbone of a lot of air transportation. But on the ocean freight side, we see, uh, you know, demand being so high and that bullwhip effect being so severe mm-hmm. felt in the supply chain that we see that that is uh, an issue as well. And then the third one is visibility and real-time monitoring. So a lot of companies and a lot of customers today as a matter of being able to mitigate their uh, risks within the supply chain are offering or are asking for visibility in far more points within their supply chain which includes the scope of services for companies like ourselves. But literally, pharma and healthcare companies, Ashundosh, are are asking for end-to-end real-time monitoring. So we are mirroring this with things like control tower, things like 24 by 7 supervision, escalation, so on and so forth, Uh, you know, recoveries of various shipments that could be in problems, et cetera, Mm. as a means to be able to respond to that challenge that is there with many of our customers. Very interesting. So a combination of two, three things. I would say. Very interesting. And, you know, just before we started uh, recording our conversation, you did mention about uh, vaccines, but I'd love to get your perspective on how supply chains are different for the pharmaceutical world, the vaccine world, the healthcare world. What is unique about this? Thank you. I think another great question. So if we see today, uh, you know, the entire localization, I would say, of many countries Mm -hmm. in terms of right from manufacturing to uh, consumption of the vaccines that has taken place. Unfortunately, vaccines is really being uh, produced in a major way in just about eight countries in the world, I should say. 
And if we see what is happening with regards to that, I think the focus is really changing more from cost and speed to market kind of uh, KPIs within an organization to now also looking at very heavy compliance requirements in the areas of warehousing, in the areas of first mile, last mile deliveries and distribution, in the areas of even audits and compliance towards all of these end-to-end -end standards that need to be established. And I think that that is the main uh, priority for many of the supply chain directors and vice presidents sitting within this, this, this pharma and healthcare mm -hmm. uh, customer community to be able to turn around and get that also up to a certain standard and up to a certain quality. Because that was almost, at least if I say it from an Indian standpoint, a neglected area of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. But today, because you are forced to be able to up the standard and also meet the kind of scale and volume of vaccines that is taking place, mm -hmm. um, that's the biggest focus area that we're seeing at this time. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, the vaccine part, just continuing for one more question, needs a very unique cold chain for carrying it. How are you adjusting to the requirements of cold chains uh, in the regions that you are in? Yeah, so I think we, we, when we looked at uh, our capabilities as a company or our readiness as a company, I would say way back probably in quarter four 2020, and we were asked to cater to minus 70 degrees, for example, across the supply chain, we saw it as something which we would like to stay away from. But having said that, there is a number of active and packing uh, pack, uh, active and passive packaging solutions that have come into play today that are readily available, that are bolting on to international transportation systems, mm -hmm. international custom clearance systems that are ready to be able to at least maintain a minus 20 degree without any problems at all. So we are working with a much broader ecosystem of players that have established themselves in different parts of the world, I must say, with a lot of speed, but also a lot of quality and a lot of stability as well. Mm -hmm. that are helping us to be able to do this. Um, for us, vaccines in, in the sense of COVID-19 vaccines is still a very small percentage of our overall healthcare portfolio of business. Mm -hmm. But yes, where, wherever we are uh, challenged with that kind of business, we are able to work with an ecosystem of partners that are really pretty high standard and, and, and global companies as well. Perfect. And now let's move in, uh, on and talk a little bit about technology. How is technology changing supply chains and uh, warehousing? So, so I think the, the whole idea today in supply chains, Ashutosh, is proactive rather than reactive. Correct. And people are saying that if you're looking you know, in the rear view mirror towards what happens in the supply chain, that's not an acceptable standard an acceptable response with many global customers. Mm -hmm. Technology, I think, plays the most important part in that, in the way of right from analytics to root cause evaluations to be able to provide, you know, escalations towards uh, recoveries and, and, uh, and notifications, etc., to be able to give you a sense of how that seamless supply chain is working from a customer standpoint. And, uh, you know, the application of technology today is mainly focused in the area of analytics, in the area of being able to do root cause assessments and to be able to make that whole supply chain a proactive rather than a reactive 
-hmm. situation. To give you one example today, say the pharma healthcare community, and I'm sure you will know this as well from mm -hmm. your own, uh, you know, very high level experience in healthcare, is being challenged with a problem which they call, um, you know, creating excessive inventory, mm -hmm. just to be able to de-risk the supply chain. The healthcare community is being challenged with it with a with the fact of saying that listen there is excessive inventory which is being created mm -hmm. and so a lot of these companies are using some of the technology tools that are available now and have come into the market in 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 a in a very short period of time to be able to really uh, address that problem and eliminate that problem within their organizations as well interesting and you know of course there's another unique part of the pharmaceutical supply chain uh, this is the only industry where there's a reverse supply chain. Correct. Um, how do you cope with that? So when we look at when we look at a network or when we look at the ability to be able to do turnaround and round trips essentially to service any business, you know, it could start from domestic transportation, but it also has its own value today in air freight and ocean freight. Uh, there is a lot of uh, leverage that can be created when you're looking at reverse logistics per se as an activity. And we have, as a company, provided reverse logistics for a lot of different industries, which are including pharmaceutical and healthcare as well. If you talk about things like, you know, the accessories to healthcare per se, mm -hmm. you know, the PPE kits, the gloves, the gorges, the syringes, the, uh, you know, the, the, the ancillary uh, mm -hmm. kind of product around healthcare, uh, that has seen the, ma the massive amount of reverse logistics and the massive amount of uh, returns as well that is there in the business. And we have a good solid product within the organization to be able to cater to that business for not only pharma, but many other industries as well. Fascinating. I wish I had got to know you when I was founded Guardian. My biggest headache was reverse supply chain. Exactly. The biggest losses of medicines would happen because nobody was really bothered on what was coming back from the stores. And going back to the distributors and to the companies. And I think to answer that, I don't know whether we would have been up to the challenge when you founded Guardian in 2003. I think this is also new uh, business and new activity for us. But certainly at the moment, we are ready and we handle quite a bit fantastic, of it. Fantastic. My next question, and this is something I've been asking a lot of the supply chain leaders, is that with the kind of technology, which is you know artificial intelligence for, for you know, predicting uh, stocks using of drones for uh, supply in the government of India apparently has clear drone delivery for vaccines. Uh, how are you preparing for these kind of changes? So I think within, within technology, say, for example, today on the warehousing side as well, you know, every WMS that we configure, every WMS that we create for our customers is designed to the specific uh, needs and requirements of those customers. Mm -hmm. um, in that, today, we have things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, a lot of the analytical tools that are there as well. But yes, we are hearing about, you know, the expectation around drone deliveries, say, for example, in remote parts of Africa, where we do some amount of the pharma and healthcare business as well. And we are responding to that with a larger system, again, of ecosystem, uh, with a larger ecosystem, or providers that partner with us and support us in these areas. To give you an example, we recently started a project with a drone delivery company in Africa, but which was founded in North America, 
today that is being able to test with us, proof of concept test with us, some of the last mile delivery, drone delivery activity in remote parts of Africa as well. So we've responded in equal measure, I would say, and we are, uh, you know, inherently, uh, Renus has, has worked with a, a partner uh, ecosystem that is able to support us with some of these kind of bolt-on activities that we need to do as well. Interesting. Uh, let's now move to the impact the pandemic and COVID-19 has had on supply chains. You know, one is, of course, the problems of doing work uh, because of the pandemic, but the other is the opportunities that have come from working from home. Uh, how have supply chains started to respond to two things of working from home? Number one, the expectation of the consumer that everything must be delivered in 30 minutes. Yes. And number two, uh, you don't have, uh, you know, one large office where you're going to deliver anything to, you know, people are working from home in different localities. I think, I think, again, that's a very good question and obviously very relevant today. The essence of this, uh, Ashutosh, is if you look at a, a, a organization that is not essentially built around location, but is built around the functionality and deliverables of a particular job. Mm -hmm. So to give you an example in that, obviously frontline workers are such an integral part of being able to do the day-to-day -day business that it is impossible to imagine for long-term, you know, we could have done it in a full lockdown, but it's impossible to imagine that they would be able to work from obviously remote areas, et cetera. So we immediately mobilized, you know, that workforce with permissions, with licenses, with all of the government uh, liaison which needed to be done to be able to get them to actually do their work in a in a problem-free manner as much as possible and that we spent a lot of time in doing that because obviously the suddenness was was a problem but if you look at otherwise work from home today for even activities like say for example business development and sales um, customers have actually been able to respond in a wonderful manner to online, uh, you know, uh, kind of environment and online meetings, et cetera, in a way that a essentially relationship-based business. If you look at 3PL and supply chain community, Ashutosh, it's always been a relationship-based business. Yeah. You sit down, you shake hands, you give a hug, you, 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 know, you see the person face-to-face -to, -face to keep that relationship going. I've got to say that I'm surprised with the way it has transformed into an online, you know, staring at a screen on both mm -hmm. sides and you don't have the ability to be able to connect in that manner. But we've been able to get a lot of our um, activity, I would say, which has been very dependent on face-to-face -to, -face to be able to go back into an online. And I think if you look at a future organization where essentially we are not being forced to have people go back to work just for the fact that we need to fill our offices. Mm -hmm. But it's more about the efficiency of the job you can do if you choose to work remotely or if you even choose to work in a hybrid kind of situation. Mm -hmm. I think that's the kind of, um, and of course you have a digitally enabled platform that allows you to conduct a lot of your work from a, from a remote environment. I think that's a very attractive uh, future situation as far as workforce is concerned. Now, I can also tell you that, for example, from an operating cost standpoint, 
Lease rentals and facilities have always consumed roughly between 20 to 25% of operating cost mm -hmm. within a 3PL uh, balance sheet. Okay. Today, to be able to look at a flexible, you know, uh, an agile way of being able to consume that cost only to some extent of what it was inherently makes it a very exciting future statement as well. Fascinating. So Vikram, I have time for two more questions. And yeah. I'm going to, these two questions are going, going to be related to the government. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned uh, in the last budget, 36 times the supply chain was mentioned. And in the same week, someone else told me that in the same week, uh, President Biden, uh, Prime Minister uh, of, of the UK, and the Indian Prime Minister, all three of them spoke of the supply chain, mm -hmm. unrelated. My question to you is, of, is basically in two parts. Number one is that I want to understand from you, what is the role the government has to play to support the supply chain from the perspective of the infrastructure? And second, how are the new channels that are being opened up in India, which are things like river transportation, how will they help supply chains? I think, again, uh, you're absolutely right when you say the abundant number of times that supply chain and the expectations around improvements in efficiency of supply chain has been quoted by many world leaders and obviously in our own union budget as well. To answer your first question, I think today, regulatory policy and framework is essentially something which in a country like India probably needs to be changed and adjusted and flexed multiple, multiple times in a fiscal year to be able to uh, facilitate the kind of uh, changes that are needing to take place as far as the Indian uh, geography is concerned. Um, I was very, very excited to see that in terms of the vaccine distribution blueprint in India, I actually got the first blueprint of exactly how the vaccine distribution was going to be planned. I think in about November, December timeframe of last year in a release from Deutsche Bank, I think it was that basically said, listen, this is the approved and, and the process ran exactly in that way. Amazing. So I think being able to do this, not only for vaccines, which was obviously to, to deal with the crisis, but to do this across all industries today, is a um, is the responsibility of the government. Uh, you know, things like GST, responding to the problems and trying to eliminate the bottlenecks that were faced with when GST was applied, given that it was, you know, a very hurried kind of tax reform that took place, not necessarily the best managed, but that's also to do with the size of the country and the, and the kind of reform that was taking place are also areas where, you know, people need to respond to the, uh, to the challenges and the changes that need to be made in tax reforms as huge as that. Mm -hmm. Now, on the second aspect of, uh, you know, things like river waterways and, and things of that kind that are developing, you know, the mix of, uh, the mix of trade between rail and road, road is also changing a lot in favor of rail today because of the great work that the Indian Railways is doing. Uh, one of the principal challenges with Make in India or Atmanirbhar Bharat is the fact that India still sits at about 14, 13 to 14% of logistics cost as the overall landed cost, which is very, very high when you compare us to countries like China, but also a lot of countries like 
in Southeast Asia or even in the larger Indian subcontinent region uh, where costs are not that high. You know, one of the things that is really something the government should think about is to create a marketplace today. As far as rail versus road versus um, riverways and waterways is concerned, just to be able to give that visibility and that transparency to roughly about 50% of that logistics cost okay. um, that is taking place you know, within that 14% cost, about 7% or 5% is being consumed only on the inland side of the mm -hmm. transportation. And if today a marketplace is created with all the kind of PPP stakeholders that need to be involved in creating that marketplace, just as a matter of being able to address that customer requirement of speed versus cost, I think that would be another great step towards lowering the cost, uh, using multimodal in the most effective way as possible, and at the end of the day, allowing Make in India or Atmanirbhar Bharat to really become a globally competitive program that it needs to be. If we don't move the needle on that 5, 6, 7%, mm -hmm. the balance of the 50% that is sitting can do whatever it is doing. In any case, it's already in chaos, but it can do whatever it is doing we will still not be able to bring it down to say the seven, eight, nine percent that needs to happen to make Indian logistics competitive. Amazing. Vikram, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for taking me through such amazing complexities of supply chain and making it sound so simple and easy. Thank you again and good luck. Really, interacting with somebody like you, Ashutosh, has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and uh, all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.